0: Hey all, it's Jay, Pacific Northwest Sports, and here's your Week Seven update. All right, starting in Washington, your UW Huskies played Oregon and came out victorious, thirty-six to thirty-three. Now let's just fast forward straight to the fourth quarter and dive into it. Okay, Oregon down twenty-nine to eighteen, scored two touchdowns and had a goal line stand to go up thirty-three to twenty-nine with just six eighteen to play in the game. In what was a methodical drive? The ducks got to midfield and with 211 decided to go for it. Now we can examine back and forth the why did Dan Lanning go for it. But at the end of the day, the decision was simple. Oregon had momentum, and all they had to do was get that first down, and then within the next four plays, get another first down. And this game's on the ice. At worst, you get the you get the first down. You might be able to kick a long field goal or take a punt to pin them inside their own 10, and you give the ball back to them with about 45 seconds. So going for it was the right decision. I don't think anyone denies that. Here's the issue, though. Michael Penix had his Heisman moment right after Oregon failed to convert. Okay, Two passes and a touchdown. Now, he had a 35-yard throw to Jalen Polk, and then a 18-yard fade to Roma Dunze. He'd been cramping the entire fourth quarter, and he had his Heisman freaking moment. Now, four three-fourth downs to find this game. Stick with me. The first one came on UW's third, three-yard line. Quarterback Bo Nicks rolled right, and he threw to Bucky, Bucky Irving, but UW safety, Dom Hampton, broke it up. The second came on fourth and three from UW's eight-yard line. Bo Nix threw an incomplete pass intended for Troy Franklin. The third came on fourth and three in the fourth quarter, and Nix, once again, threw an incomplete pass. Now, Oregon had a chance to tie the game at the end, but the kick just sailed slightly right of the uprights. At the end of the game, at the end of the day, Bo Nix didn't necessarily make the plays he needed. Three of them. And Michael Penix had his on moment. Now, funny fact for you. And you may not believe me, but you can look it up. Duck hunting season in Washington actually started on October fourteenth. So, ironically enough, you know, was UW got the uh, the hunting done of the ducks on duck hunting season? Now, the player of the game, UW quarterback Michael Penix, who went twenty-two of thirty-seven for three hundred two yards and four touchdowns. He did throw one interception. UW will play Arizona State next week, and Oregon will play WSU next week. Speaking of WSU, they played Arizona and got blown out six to forty-four. I'm gonna try to get through this calmly. After scoring and going up six to nothing, Wazoo would decide to go for two and they failed. This would be the last time Wazoo would have the lead or looked like a competent offense. I can't tell if Arizona's a buzzsaw. After all, they did just take USC to triple overtime last week. But the Cougs flat out sucked. They passed midfield just three times. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just laughing at the uh, how ironic the losses. They cooped it. Okay, the Cougs passed midfield just three of the eleven times they had the ball after that opening drive touchdown. The Cougs had three turnovers, and they were held under 30 yards on nine different drives throughout that game. And they could only rush for 35 yards on 22 attempts. WC will play Oregon next week. I'm sorry, I can't get deeper into the issues with that. It, it it's a sucky game. You got to cross it out. All right, under Eastern Washington Eagles who played Idaho State and lost 41 to 42. I'm pretty shocked because I did not expect Idaho State University to win the game. What I think makes this more impressive is that the Bengals went into halftime down 35 to 14. And to open up the second half, Eastern scored two field goals to then go up 41-14. to Then the Bengals put up 28 unanswered points to win the game. The cherry on top, Idaho State scoring a touchdown with just 52 seconds left on the clock. Talk about absolute ice in the veins. The player of the game is Idaho State running back Soju Gasu, who had eight carries for 75 yards and two touchdowns. Idaho State will face Portland State next week in Eastern Washington will face Weber State next week. Your Central Football Eagles played Midwestern State and won 10-7. Talk about a close game. Central Washington University went into halftime down 3-7 to 7, and scored 7 in the fourth quarter to go up 10-7. to 7. This would end up being the last score of the game. I will say this game was so close due to Central's four turnovers. Defensive games are tough, and it's hard to win down in Midwestern, but the Wildcats were able to pull it off. The player of the game is Central Washington running back Trajan Henderson, who had 16 attempts for 92 yards. Central Washington will play West Texas A&M next week. On over to the PLU Lutes who played Willamette University and won 62 to seven. At one point in this game, it was seven to seven. Then the Lutes went off for 55 unanswered points, and that put up the 62 they had. Now the 62 was the most they've scored since 2001, when they also put up 62. But at that time, it was against the Puget Sound loggers. The Lutes had 572 yards of total offense, with 432 of those yards coming through the air. The player of the game, PLU quarterback Darius Chafin, who went 22 of 28 for 252 yards and four touchdowns. He also rushed seven times for 23 yards and a touchdown. PLU will play Lewis and Clark next week, and Williamette will play George Fox next week. Now, your Puget Sound loggers played Whitworth Pirates and got blown out 21-3. to Whitworth is an absolute buzzsaw of the team. There's not many highlights to actually go over in this game. Instead, I'll give you a fact. This win marked the 10th straight the 10th straight winning season for the Whitworth Pirates under head coach Rod Sandberg. This extended the winning streak that was already there. And the player of the game is Whitworth. Running back, Louis Salgado, who had five carries for 119 yards and three touchdowns. Puget Sound will play Linfield next week, and Whitworth will play Pacific next week. Over in Oregon, the Oregon State Beavers played UCLA, and they won 36-24. to Now, the Beavers are bowl-eligible, quite historic for OSU, as this is the quickest a football team of theirs has ever made bowl eligibility. For those of you who may not know, that means they reached six wins. Off to the game. The defense is dominant. The running back, the offense is solid, and that's how it's been all year. They've asked Damian Martinez to run hard, and they've asked DJU not to, you know, mess it up essentially, but be a game manager, make a couple plays. Going into today, UCLA averaged 258 yards of passing a game. Against the OSU defense, they were held to 169 yards and three. Different Beavers picked off a pass. The player of the game, there's two of them. Damian Martinez, who rushed 15 times for 97 yards, which is that run-hard philosophy they've had for the offense this year. And DJU went 14 of 24 for 266 yards and two touchdowns. Perhaps transferring from Clemson has helped him and made him into a better prospect. It'll be interesting to see what he decides to do in the future, if he wants to stay, or if he's going to go. The Portland State Vikings played Northern Arizona and won 45 21. Now, Portland State finally got rid of some demons. PSU had actually not won at Northern Arizona since 2006, and the Vikings were also winless on the road this year. At least once every single week, I remind people how you have to run the ball to win the game. Portland State was the team who exemplified this as they rushed for 366 yards. However, The majority of success came through the air, which is ironic because when I say success, I mean the touchdowns. Five of them came in the air, and one rushing touchdown obviously came on the ground. Player of the game, Wazoo quarterback Dante Chichir, who went 14 of 19 for 159 yards and five touchdowns. Portland State will face Idaho State next week. Off to your Western Oregon Wolves, who played Minnesota State and lost 14-45. to 45. And after two straight wins, the Wolves came back down to earth with a tough loss. It's not like the Wolves were completely lost. In fact, they had a pretty solid game plan. A game plan that ended up with 150 rushing yards to 146 passing yards. At the end of the day, Minnesota State, who's ranked number four in D2 right now, was simply just the better team. That's nothing to sneeze at. Western Oregon will look to bounce back next week when they play Midwestern State. Now I have your George Fox Bruins, who played Linfield and came defeated, came up defeated, 13 to 41. Linfield, who's ranked number five, is no scrub of a team. The homecoming win assured Linfield of their 67th consecutive winning season, which, as I mentioned last week, is the longest streak of any college football team, regardless of the level. To give you an idea of Linfield's dominance, they held the Bruins to 1 of 13 on third down and converted on 7 of 8 red zone opportunities. The player of the game, Linfield quarterback Easton Blake, who went 26 of 31 for 302 yards and 3 touchdowns. George Fox will play William Mett next week. And Linfield will take on the Loggers next week. Down to your Lewis and Clark Pioneers, who played Pacific Boxers and won 51-35. A good old-fashioned shootout. Now, we went into halftime with the score 17 to 14 in favor of Lewis Clark. To open up the third quarter, oh, God, Lordy. To open up the third quarter, Lewis and Clark would score on back to back possessions to go up 31 to 14. And when you're in a boat race like this, you cannot take your foot off the gas. Pacific would score a touchdown and to make the score 31 to 21, but then Lewis and Clark would score another two touchdowns to go up 44 to 21. Pacific would score again, and the Pioneers would score again as well to get us to a final score of 51 to 35. Essentially, every time Pacific scored, Lewis and Clark scored two. So it was two for one, two for one, two for one, and you can't win games like that. Lewis and Clark, so player of the game, we have two of them. Lewis and Clark running back Elijah Washington, who rushed 25 times for 160 yards and two touchdowns, and Lewis and Clark linebacker Justin Hope, who had one tackle for loss, one pass breakup, and 18 tackles. Pacific will play Whitworth next week, and Lewis and Clark will play PLU next week. The Eastern Oregon Mountaineers played Carroll College and came out short 6-14. Talk about a win. When you're ranked number seven, you don't want too many close games. And to be frank, this game shouldn't have been close. Going into the fourth quarter, Carroll was down 6-0, and then all of a sudden, Carroll just got it rolling. Okay. They had a 76-yard drive and a methodic 13 plays where they scored a touchdown to go up 7-6. Then Eastern Oregon got the ball back, and you felt perhaps they're going to answer back with their own methodical drive and take, regain the lead. However, the Saints got a strip sack, picked it up, and then rumbled back to the end zone to go up 14-16. That was all she had to write. Your player of the game is Carroll running back Duncan Craft, who had 19 attempts for 18 eight, for 88 yards. Eastern Oregon has a bye next week, and Carroll College will play College of Idaho next week. Now, your Southern Oregon Raiders played Arizona Christian and won 49 to seven. Southern Oregon just dominated this game. They were up 42 to nothing until Arizona Christian scored with just about six minutes left in the third quarter. The defense is having a party in the backfield as they had seven sacks and they were also robbing them with three different turnovers. The player of the game is Southern Oregon defensive line Gabe Thomas who had two sacks. Southern Oregon will play MSU Northern next week. On over to Idaho where we had your Boise State Broncos take on Colorado State where they fell 30-31. A late night football is the best but let's give some info. Colorado State has played Boise State 12 times in their history, and not once has Colorado State lost to Boise State. Or in the inverse, since we focus on the Pacific Northwest here, not once has Boise State lost to Colorado State. Until this weekend. Colorado State is an extremely underrated football team. They're not going to wow you, but they play hard. Now here we go. Boys State up 30 to 10 with 6 12 left to play in the third. No, sorry, excuse me. Boys State up 30 to 10 with 16 left to 12 with 16 minutes. Boys State up 30 to 10 with 6 minutes and 12 seconds left to play. And Colorado scores three touchdowns. And the last happens on a Hail Mary as time expires to beat them. And it's a damn shame. Ashton JT had 31 carries for 212 yards and three touchdowns. He also had five receptions for 42 yards, leading the team in yards and receptions. He led the team in total yards again. The sad part for him is he's a true sophomore, so he has another year on this dysfunctional team. If it wasn't for him, the Broncos would be winless right now. They'd be sitting at every single loss. They don't have a team outside of him. He carries his team week in and week out. And for that reason, it's a damn shame the Broncos can't get the stop. Boise State has a bye next week. Your Idaho Vandals played Montana for the Battle of the Little Brown Stein, and your Idaho Vandals came up short, 21-23. The Brown Stein returns to Montana. But I've said it once, and I will say it again. No division in football is more competitive than the Big Sky. Montana went into halftime up twenty to seven, and in a typical rivalry style game, the game came down to the last minute, literally. Montana's not flashy; they're gonna grind out wins. And I believe it was last year where Idaho came into Montana, knocked them off their throne, and took the Little Brown Stein. So this year, Montana wanted vengeance and decided they could go into the Kibby Dome and do the same thing. The third quarter was a snooze fest, right? You felt like, okay, Montana just needs to score here to put this game away, or Idaho needs to get things going. So when the fourth quarter started, and I saw the score was still twenty to seven, I said, eh, this thing's over. But as I've been wrong all year, Giovanni McCoy happened. He throws a touchdown with 5.58 on the clock, and then Idaho gets a two-point conversion. Then Idaho gets a stop. They throw another touchdown. And now they fail on the two-point, so the score is 21-23. to Idaho needs to recover the onside kick. They recover it, but they were off sides, so they go again. Montana recovers this time. Now with two timeouts, they got to stop Montana four times, including a fourth and two in which they stood Montana up and got it. So now at this point, Idaho gets the ball back. And if not for Sean Chambers, I think Giovanni McCoy is probably in the running to get the Walter Payton Award. And I think if McCoy pulls this off, he has to take he has a chance chance to be in the conversation for the rest of the year. Because as is with the Heisman, you know, really around September, October, they're kind of jockeying for just to be in the talk, And then November, you're really taking over. For those reasons, I thought, well, if Giovanni McCoy wins this game, you know, maybe Sean Chambers has someone to kind of give him some some pushback, right? First play, Montana and their, you know, signature 335 defense comes out and gets pressure and strip sacks Giovanni McCoy. They recover, they fall on it, they kneel out the clock, the game's over. But what's more impressive here is that Montana. And that three-three-five defense got pressure. That's just heart and coaching. That's not. That's not. Oh, we have better athletes. No, no. That's just heart and coaching. The player of the game is Montana quarterback Clifton McDowell, who won eleven of eighteen for 176 yards and one touchdown. He also rushed thirteen times for 38 yards and one touchdown. Idaho will play Montana State next week, and Montana will have a bye week next week. That Idaho-Montana State game is a sneaky, sneaky, huge game for Idaho. They win that. They stay with two losses. They lose that. Now they have three, and playoffs are still a possibility, but a hell of a lot harder to get to. Now you have College of Idaho Coyotes, who played Montana State University Northern and won 59-0. Now two records were set. Okay, First, the Coyotes were able to put up 59 points, combine that with last week's total of 56, and now the Coyotes have put up 115 points in, in, in two weeks, meaning this was the most points ever scored in back-to-back weeks in College of Idaho history. Defensively, and this is what blew my mind for the record, they held MSU to 17 total yards of offense. You heard me correctly. They held them to 17 yards of offense. Player of the game, wide receiver John Schofield, who had five receptions for 135 yards and two touchdowns. This was Schofield's eighth receiving touchdown this year, which is one shy of the record. Coyotes will face Carroll College next week, and Montana State Northern Lights will play Southern Oregon next week. Over to Montana, we got your University of Montana Bobcats, who played Cal Poly and won fifty nine 17 Now, this is MSU's 24th straight win, and they dominated the game. It pretty much started and ended when punt returner Ty McCulloch returned a 65-yard punt to the house for a touchdown. At that point, you know, this game's done. The player game, Montana State University quarterback Sean Chambers, who actually didn't get the start today, but he went 7-15 for 150 to 151 yards and also rushed four times for 91 yards and three touchdowns, averaging over 20 yards per carry. MSU will play Sacramento State next week. Your Montana Western Bulldogs played Rocky Mountain College and came out on top 27-20. to 20. Now, the Bulldogs won a sloppy game, but in typical Bulldog fashion, they won this game with good defense and a nice rushing attack. After being down 6 nothing, the Bulldogs were able to do some positive things, such as scoring 27 unanswered points to get a win. Player of the game, Montana Western D-lineman Tanner Harrell, who had two tackles for loss, 1.5 sacks, and with that two, ta- two tackles for loss, he moved number one all-time into the Western, Montana Western record books and career tackles for loss with over 80. He has the rest of the year to grow that record. The Bulldogs will play Arizona Christian next week. Rocky Mountain will play Montana Tech next week. Over in Wyoming, the Wyoming Cowboys lost to Air Force 27-34. After being up 14-0, you really thought Wyoming was just going to take care of the game. But let's jump into the fourth quarter. Air Force was facing third and three. At its own 42, in typical Air Force, typical Air Force fashion, they gave the ball to the fullback to get themselves those three yards. The issue is that absolute battering ram of a fullback rumbled down the field 58 yards for a touchdown, to give the Falcons a 34 to 27 lead. Now the Cowboys got the ball back with two minutes 17 seconds, and it was perfect. You just thought, okay, Wyoming's going to take the air out of the ball. They're going to methodically move this down the field, score a touchdown. And at that point, kick the field goal for OT or go for two to end the game. Okay? Now, the drive started off promising. A nine-yard pass to the tight end, set up second and one. And then they didn't get it on second down or third down. Wait a minute. They didn't get it on fourth down. Oh, oh my. So now you're looking at it. You're going, they just lost this game. Wow. How did you lose? Air Force had the ball back. They kneeled out the clock, and the game's over. Wyoming has a bye next week. Over to Utah, the BYU Cougars played TCU and lost 11-44. I don't even know if I want to get into this, but it's my job. TCU was starting a redshirt freshman at quarterback. BYU was coming off a nice win versus Cincinnati. And just like that, BYU, who hadn't beaten TCU in its last four attempts, had the Stars aligned for a win. I mean, you couldn't have asked for a much better scenario to be in. The Stars were aligned for a win. Then they forgot how to play freaking football. The defense couldn't get a stop. The offense couldn't get anything going. Keaton Slovis was hitting on less than 50% of his passes, You didn't pass the 30-yard line until halfway through the second quarter. It it was garbage. They got their teeth kicked in against a TCU team they probably should have beat. BYU plays Texas Tech next week. I don't even want to know what that might end up looking like. Utah Utes played Cal and won 35-14. to Now Utah, who's known for grinding out wins with a staunch defense, had an absolute offensive explosion this week of 35 points. Now, what's more impressive is the fact that Kim Rising actually didn't lead this offensive explosion. Utah averaged 5.9 yards per play. They went 10 of 17 on third down, and they racked up 21 first downs, and the defense, trust me, was wreaking havoc as they had five sacks on the Bears' quarterbacks. The player of the game, Utah safety, Sioni Vaki, who played running back, had 15 carries, and had 158 yards and two touchdowns. That's their safety. Utah will have their hands full as they play USC next week. Your Utah State Aggies played Fresno State and lost 32 to 37. And honestly, they had a 15 point fourth quarter going for them. That would have culminated in a win if not for a Cooper-Legas interception with under a minute to close out the game. It's a damn shame they couldn't keep it up because as the game kept going, you just go, mm, they're not going to win, they're not going to win, and then all of a sudden, touchdown, touchdown. And you're going, is Cooper-Legas about to do this? Is he about to lead them to a win versus Fresno State? Fresno State had lost the previous week to Wyoming, so you're thinking back-to-back losses for Fres- What's going on here? And then all of a sudden, interception, game over. Utah State will play San Jose State next week. Your Weber State Wildcats played UC Davis and came up short 16-17. It's a shame because you always want to win on homecoming. And honestly, it just wasn't the best game. After being down 14-3, the Wildcats had a spark. They blocked punt on the 15-yard line, recovered the punt, and then scored on the very next play. From there, they went into halftime down 14 to 10. Coming out of halftime, Weaver State would score a field goal to be down 14 to 13. UC Davis would answer with a field goal of their own to go up 17 to 17 to 13. Weaver State would score another field goal to go to 17 to 16. And that was with seven minutes left. And then from there. Weber State couldn't couldn't record another explosive play, which is defined as a play of 20 or more yards. Weber State will play Eastern Washington next week. Now, your game of the week, as I'm sure you guys are going to wonder. Well, who could it be, Jay? Could it be, you know, maybe Weber State playing Eastern Washington? Could it be Idaho versus Montana State? I mean, you said it's a huge game and lots riding on it. But no, it's actually Carroll College versus College of Idaho. Now, this is the top two schools in the Frontier Conference, and they're meeting in a clash of the Titans. The game's gonna be played in Helena, Montana, and to be frank, this game comes down to defense and having a couple of your dudes on offense make some plays. Let me explain that a little bit better. College of Idaho just came off a game in which they held a team to 17 total yards of offense, and they also scored 50-plus in back-to-back games. In terms of their dude making plays, John Schofield needs to have a big game if College of Idaho is going to win. Now, Carroll College has played the Cardiac Kids all year. In the six games they've played, they have a plus-minus of plus-92. Well, Jay, that's that's pretty good. You know, it's an average margin of victory of 15-plus points. Yeah, but 40 of those plus-92 came against MSU Northern Lights, who, as we know, Carroll, or College of Idaho, excuse me, just shut out. So you take away those plus 40 points and it gets you to really a plus 52, which is about eight points a game. Now Carol's four of their six wins have been decided by eight points or less, AKA one possession or less. Now you keep winning. And I said it two weeks ago, you know, when you keep finding ways to win these close games, sometimes it's fate. Sometimes you have something extra on your side that makes you just a little bit harder to stop. A little bit more luck, as some would say. And honestly, that's the way I see it, right? Carol has been studded this year, right? Finding a way to win these, cla- these close games. Hail Mary Overtimes, just like, just like College of Idaho has had. But the thing that consistently gives me hope and makes me think that College of Idaho is going to win this game is that they've had dominant victories where you looked and you knew there's no way they're losing this carol's had one or two of them but again four games decided by eight points or less now for carol to win they need quarterback jack prinka to have the game of his life okay he has the ability to change games he's done it both rushing and passing he needs to do it again here now the player of the week come on michael Penix jr right i i mean the dude had his Heisman moment. When you look back, Desmond Howard, punt return touchdown, strikes the Heisman pose, right? Reggie Bush reversing field against Fresno State, scoring. You knew. Heisman moment. Vince Young running into the corner of the end zone. I mean, not his Heisman moment, but, you know, national iconic moment. Uh, when you look at these things, you just know, like, Heisman moment, that's what got him there, Okay. I think this was Michael Penix's Heisman moment, okay? He had, again, 22 of 37 for 302 yards and four touchdowns. What more can you want? The dude's willing teams to victory. It's impressive. It's impressive. Now, you guys will have to tell me if you want Kraken updates because I love giving Kraken updates. I think it's going to be really fun. This is a little more in-depth than normal, what we're doing with Kraken right here, Um, but I hope you guys like it. We're also going to be focusing on the Trailblazers because they are our team. Uh we're also, you know, lucky enough that we include Utah in this. So, you know, we get a little bit of Salt Lake City. So the Utah Jazz we get to focus on. Um, I think it's gonna be a fun time for us to talk about just sports teams in general. Uh obviously we're gonna be able to focus on college basketball, uh, and and just more and more and so on. Uh, spring will get crazy. We're gonna have wrestling to focus on with Wyoming and Oregon State. Uh it's it's gonna be a fun time. It's gonna be a very fun time. But yeah, they're gonna have to tell me if you want this Kraken updates in the future, okay? Kraken are sitting at 0 and 1. Well, it's certainly not ideal to be winless after your first week of games. It's nice to know it's a long, long season. Now, Grubauer, Well, people might be upset, is not entirely to blame. His safe percentage is currently at 0.918 and only allowing 2.5 goals per game. Ty Cartier and Matty Berniers are both without a point this year and sit at negative one and negative three points, differential one on the ice. So now I bring the question up. If Shane Wright dominates in the, in the AHL for the first month, do you call him up? I know we got an exception to have him in the AHL, and, you know, he's a teenager, we should be happy, but is it worth calling up? Maybe. Maybe. Now, I wanted to give an update on the Kraken's top prospects because... I felt it was right. We're still a young team, right now. I'm not including Matting Berniers because he literally is the recipient of the Calder Trophy, and he couldn't have done much better. Shane Wright, we've already spoke about. So here's where we go. We have Edward Sale, who is a lefty. Often he's a lefty wing. Excuse me. Currently 18 years old, and he has a freaking toolkit. All right. He passes well, he has excellent stick skills, he can feed well on power plays, which, if you are a Kraken fan, you know we need better out of our power plays. Now, Sally isn't an over-and-athletically guy or super high energy. He just does his job and has really good fundamentals. He's the NHL equivalent of the NBA's Tim Duncan, right? He does the right thing at the right time and the right place, and it always seems to work out. Now, he can... Take over games if he needs to, and he'll end up being a top 10 wing in NHL time. But what's going to annoy some fans is the fact that he doesn't walk around portraying himself as this alpha and the team runs through him. He does the right thing at the right time, the right way. Lucas Dragnovec is a right defender who's shockingly deadly with the puck. Now, he already runs a really strong power play, which again, the Kraken and need, and he has a pretty strong shot. Now, without the puck, he struggles to kind of move around, and the sense of spacing seems to be a little bit off, but you can learn that stuff. At 194 pounds, being a defensive, I think it's going to be interesting to see how he gets deployed in the NHL. Now, I think he can be super, super explosive and super, super good for the team, but it all depends on how he's deployed. Now, at goalie, Grubauer is signed for the next four years. You know who might be ready by that time? Nicholas. Coco. He's a lefty goalie who's 19 years old but has a solid frame with a really twitchy type of, uh you know, just reaction just boom, there. Now, goalie development's harder to predict than any other position in the NHL. That's just the nature of the beast. But if Coco can make the routine plays, okay, the routine stops, then he might be ready for the next level. And the impressive part about Coco, okay, is He, You watch him play, and you go, oh, good stop. Oh, whoa, he he stopped that? And then you watch something, and you go, why didn't he stop that? The dude almost is better at making the acrobatic saves than some of the routine stuff. So if he can clean up the fundamentals, then maybe, just maybe, he'll be better on the backside. Now, he stands on his feet a little bit more, right? He's young. He's still got some good knees, so he's able to kind of go a little bit crazy. But by the time Grubauer's contract is up, hopefully Coco's ready to go. Now, again, I'd almost rather have him know that, hey, we can fix this. This is fundamentals. Like, normal, everyday stops is all we got to fix. He makes the twitchy stuff. So that's impressive. I think it's going to be huge to see what he can do in the future and how he develops. Maybe, just maybe, he's the guy. Well, guys, again... Week seven, I really, really hope you enjoyed this. I really, really hope we can continue to make just these weekly updates something we we love to speak about. Again, I I am sorry that, uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit longer of an update here, but I really wanted to get just everything we could possibly get in because I freaking love the Pacific Northwest in the sports. And I hope you guys do too. As always, have an amazing day. We will talk to you soon.